Well, let's get going this morning. Let's uh, speak to our great God. God, you are so good. You are great, and we praise your holy name. Lord, will you come to open our ears and our hearts and our minds to what you have to say to us today? We are grateful for your word, and we pray that you will wash it over us. In Christ's name, amen. So we have had a whole lot of learning going on about our great God, have we not? There's been a lot. And there's a few things that uh, from our lesson uh, last week, I just wanted to touch on briefly and then look at what we were covering in um, Kings 18 and 19 this week. I just wanted to start with... Sometimes it's challenging to look at the difficult passages of Scripture, isn't it? The ones that we ended on last week with Elijah and all the prophets of Baal, 450 being slain. And a couple of things came to my mind as as I was reading and preparing And I just hoped and prayed that as we look at difficult verses, that one, that we as followers of Jesus Christ, as followers of our great God, that we do not fear looking at difficult passages. And it came to my mind to think of, sometimes collectively or individually, we think, I don't know what to do with that. And it, caught, it brings up fear in us. And I want us to be encouraged, ladies. We do not need to be afraid. What are we afraid of? That God will be found lacking? That he will be too mean for others or us to follow wholeheartedly or embrace fully that he is not trustworthy? As we read through these difficult texts, let's look to what they teach us about the truth about God. As I was praying about this, as I read over this text, and what would, that, what would that come out? What rises to the surface about our great God? He is holy. God is holy. He is Odashai de Israel, the Holy One of Israel, the Holy One of Israel. verse in Leviticus that I wanted to share with you. Leviticus 19, 1 and 2. That the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord God, am holy. Their call is to holiness. 
because their God is holy. He tells them later in that, in that verses, verse 4, Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves molten gods. I am the Lord your God. Over and over and over he tells them, no idols. I am the Holy One. I am the only one. We had a verse in Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through 5, and I just wanted to read a portion of that for you. Because God is talking about people Dreamers or false prophets who are coming and saying to the people, let us go after other gods. And God has in there, whom you do not know. They are enticing the people away from the God that they do know. And they are saying, come, come, and let us go after other gods and let us serve them. But that prophet or dreamer shall be put to death because he has counseled or he has sought out to bring about rebellion against the Lord your God. They are seeking to pull the people away from the God they do know, from the God they can know, because he is alive, the God who knows and loves them. He has shown himself to them. He is the only true God. This is serious, ladies. This is abhorrent to God. It is evil. These prophets led the people into spiritual darkness and deadness. Death to their souls. Led the people away to practice such evil things that it would putrefy, that it would make rotten, it would make foul, it would morally corrupt and be totally objectionable. their very souls before a holy God. Such great lengths of evil cannot and would not be ignored. The vile offenders would be dealt with with God's justice. Our just and righteous God demands it. How loving would it be to let this go? without any judgment on such evil. God had been making himself known since, since the beginning to draw his own to himself, choosing and loving Israel. He had established ways back to himself, but the people were led astray. This picture of God's holiness should both stop us and stun us. To examine what that means 
that our God is holy. God teaches us in Isaiah 46, he says, remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past. For I am God and there is no other. I am God. There is no one like me. This is God who declares the end from the beginning, from the ancient of things which have not been done. He says, my purposes will be established and I will accomplish my good pleasure. Later on in Isaiah, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways, declared the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. This is our holy God. He is holy. He can do whatever he wills. He rules all. May it shake us up a bit. May it shake us up a lot. May it move us to a place of humility. May our eyes just be thrown open wide to the majesty before us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear. Another word, awe, great awe. But also fear and trembling. Before someone who we have no control over. Ladies, think about, if you can go with me, how thunder, have you ever been with it where it just reverberates into your whole body? Or maybe the enormity of the ocean that could take you over, the incomprehensible night sky that could envelop you in its vastness, that it shakes you to the core. This brings us to the wisdom that God alone is in control. God alone holds all things in his hands. God alone sets the commands to live by. He could have, I suppose, as the idols prove that, that they are ruthless, they do everything on their own whim. That's what the people believe. That's what they would attribute to that, their gods. But God, who is rich in mercy and love, wants to pour it out on us. This all-powerful, holy God, he says, follow me, trust me, know me, obey me. He is moved by his great love for us. And he works for our good. He sets his commands for our good. This is what should drive us to our knees. That we 
we, sinful man, sinful woman that we are, have the very heart of God turned toward us in love and compassion. Let that sit over you. It do just that. How is it that we sometimes make God so small because then we can better understand him? But he, he is not that way. We want to see as much of him as we can. Corinthians tells us that for now, we see in a mirror dimly. I was looking in my mirror as I was putting on my makeup today and there were smudges of makeup all over it. And I'm looking around for that one little place where I could kind of see. Anybody? Anybody? Oh, thank goodness. Um, I'm not the only one. I thought, what if this is, example's not going to work well because these women are so clean and put together. They have their... How long would it have taken me to grab the towel and wipe it? I, I don't know. Um... I could see what was kind of going on. But it's dimly, it's filmed over. That's how we see now our great God. But someday, someday, we will see him face to face. Clear and true. Corinthians goes on to tell us that now I know in part. We're learning, right? We're learning together who our great God is. We're learning more and more about him in part. But then I will know fully. It is coming. Just as I have been fully known. Just as I am fully known, you are fully known by our holy, loving God. And so is everyone under the sun. Because our holy God can see it all. And he knows all. He knows the hearts of men and women. Until that day, when we see face to face, when we know fully. Let us train our hearts, ladies. Let us train our hearts to doubt our doubt before we doubt our great God. Let us train our hearts to go to what we know to be true about him. we are going to need this as we move on, as we study our next verses about Elijah and what we are seeing there. We get to see his power displayed again, don't we? We get to see his power displayed again. 
1 Kings 18. In verses 41 to 46, Elijah tells Ahab, go and eat and drink. And I love this part. I don't know why, it just hit me. For there is the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. Something's coming. Something's coming. Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel. And here at some point we could see, he could see the sea or perhaps he was in the middle and he would, it would make more sense to me that he was more in the middle and he would send his messenger to look, to look on the vastness of the sea, to check, right? And here is our Elijah prostrate in prayer. He wouldn't even stop praying to go look for himself. I'm just going to keep praying expectantly. I hear the roar. It's coming. And he sent his servant to continue to look again and again. He is waiting expectantly. Because he knew God would answer. He knew God would answer. Now remember, they had been waiting for three and a half years. It's not like he just started praying when he got to the top of the mountain. And then in a little while, the storm came up. And it made me start to think, I don't know that I'm such a great waiter. I think that's a difficult thing for us in our society to be a great waiter. I was thinking about some of the movies or shows that I love to see. Pride and Prejudice, anyone? Anyone? Maybe Downton? They had to wait a lot. They had to wait for letters, like for weeks. And then they would write, and it would go back, and they would study that letter. And then they might not not even see their Mr. Wonderful for months. And all they have is maybe a little word or, or maybe a little nod he gave them before. And then they have to wait forever to see if it's going to pan out to be anything. But I think they learned to wait. And here today, it made me think, I don't think I'm such a great waiter. Years? That's a long time. That's a long time to wait to see God fulfill his word and his promise. Waiting, though, if we let it, prepares us for what is to come. It prepares us for the answers that we expect and the ones that we don't expect. In this place, Elijah saw fulfillment of God's word. If we let them, 
our hearts could go grow bitter. We could lose the trust. We can combat our doubt with the truth of God when we go to what we know to be true, or we can give in to doubt. And what happens when that, ha- when that comes about? I think that's when we harbor questions deep inside of us and we keep them hidden and we don't bring them into the light. And then that waiting turns our heart into a place of anger, not believing that God is good. Friends, let's be good waiters. Let's not let the time be in vain where we learn nothing about or from our great God. Do you remember what it was? It was the small thing. And I had wanted to go all the way to the back and hold up my little hand because on the horizon, that was the storm that was coming. It was this big. Sometimes, ladies, we want to look for the small hand of God on the huge horizon. Turn our ears to the roar of what's coming, knowing that God will accomplish his will. He will do it. He is trustworthy. How would my life look? How would I live it differently if I waited with a trusting heart, trusting in who God is and the goodness of who he is? Let's think about that. And Elijah got to see God's power displayed again as the storm fell from the sky. What a great thing. I loved how Rhonda reminded us last week that Elijah and the people were real people. Elijah is a man, a real man, a human being who is here as we look in chapter 19. And we see how Elijah flees from Jezebel with the threat on his life from her. And isn't it interesting, Ahab didn't bring the threat even after he saw everything, right? He just kind of told Jezebel what Elijah did. He didn't say God had done it. He didn't say that God had brought judgment. He kept God out of the whole thing. Because he was under the judgment of God. But as I looked at Elijah and how he arose and ran for his life, it just made me think of him as a human 
being who had experienced so many great highs, had he not? I just looked at him and I just thought, this man, at this point, as he ran, his physical body had been expended, his emotional being had been expended with great highs. He had stood by and felt the fire and power of God. He felt the heat of holy fire and unmatched power. He had felt that physically. He had felt and saw the drenching rain and the fulfilling of a promise. And as I thought into these things, I thought, this guy is filled up. And not only that, he experienced the rush of the hand of God on him as he outran a chariot ahead of Ahab. He is surely full up to overflowing. Could you see that? He's also physically, emotionally expended. Have you ever had things that are just so great? Maybe it's a wedding in your life. Maybe it's a fabulous celebration. Maybe it's a victory that you have had over, over some sin or you've had someone come back to the Lord and such, someone has been healed or has gotten well and you've gotten to celebrate. It's so high that you don't know how you could be so tired. It's all been so good, right? Have you been there? And then he is hit with some low blows. Ooh, he is hit with some low blows. Things that take the wind out of your sail. We hear what's in his heart in verse 10. After God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? This is after he has rested and he has come to, and these are the words that he says. I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, torn down thine altars, and killed thy prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. This is what's in his heart. And I think that back here in verse 4, this is everything he wanted to say, but this is what actually came out of his mouth. It is enough. Oh, Lord, take my life. I am not better than my father's. He is a man he is expended. And this is how he wanted to say. Oh, I didn't mean for him to pop. I really just meant for him just to kind of wither down. <laughs> but perhaps that's, you know, the way it was. But the way I saw it is that this dear man is full up, full. And as these things come to his mind, 
that the people of God have not gone back to God. A little bit more air comes out. All the sins of the people. He has been so zealous. He has been filled up with God and proclaiming the truth and no fruit. And he just falls to the ground under the tree. Oh, Lord, take my life. He realized, I think something that just broke him to the core is that they acknowledged God. They fell on their faces, did they not? and said, the Lord is God. But only with their lips, not with their lives. Let us not be women who merely praise him with our lips, but who honor and live for him with our lives. That's what brings about true change. He is not only collapsed with physical fatigue, but soul fatigue. But did you hear? Who does he go to? He still places his life in God's hands, does he not? Oh Lord, take my life. Where else could he go? in his darkest moments, but to his great God. And he sleeps. And then did you catch it in verse 5? And behold. Behold. I thought that was an interesting choice of word. I usually think of it, behold, like when all the angels come from heaven. Behold. But here we have, behold. Look closely. Not just Elijah, but you and me. What are we looking for? What are we seeing? We're seeing our great God again. And behold, there was an angel touching him and said to him, Arise and eat. And Elijah looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on a hot stone and a jar of water to refresh him. But behold, what are we seeing? Look and see how great your Father who loves you, who is great in compassion and mercy and understanding and great love. God doesn't shake him awake and say, how dare you? Did you not just see all my power displayed? Did you not just see it displayed over and over? But no. 
I could much more picture Elohim, Ikaro, the God who is near. This is better what I picture. God reading and proclaiming these words over his servant. Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? Where had Elijah gone? Far from where he was, and then a day into the wilderness. Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him? No, not from the God who is near. I could hear him read one of my favorites over his servant. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou dost know when I sit up and when I rise up. Thou dost understand my thought from afar. Thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down. Elijah's lying down. And art intimately acquainted with all my ways, even before there is a word on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, thou dost know it all. Thou hast enclosed me behind and before, and hast laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. God has gone before Elijah and behind him, and we see he has his hand upon him. Elijah, you have everything you need. Your God is near. Friends, God's hand is upon you. You have everything you need. Your God is near. Psalm 34. So much beauty in this whole psalm. They who looked to him were radiant. Their faces are never ashamed. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. The angel of the Lord is around Elijah. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Is, our, is not our dear friend Elijah crushed in spirit? But God will save him. Our great God, our compassionate God, is near our dear friend. This is so beautiful. Hear me now. Our great God, the Holy One, the most powerful one, God Almighty, he is near. He is as near as he can be to Elijah and to us, to you and to me. Ladies, if we know Jesus Christ, we have been sealed with the Spirit of God. He is in us. He could not be closer. His very Spirit is in us, his children, to remind us of his holiness, to draw us to himself to not only show us his power, but to work in us and through us with his great power. 
And his spirit is to remind us he is near and he loves us so. May we live in this truth day after day. May it make us like our Lord Jesus Christ who took God's wrath for us that we may draw near to our great God. May this truth bring us to our near knees daily and change our lives forever. Amen?